Welcome to Entropy to Work podcast. My name is Thiago Ebel and I am your host. So today we are talking about gas turbines, one of my favorite engineering topics. There is just so much going on in a gas turbine that is hard to even start. And actually some people ask me to do some introductory videos about gas turbines. So yeah, keep tuned, especially on YouTube. I might do some uh, design videos and some basics of gas turbines over there. Okay. So, as usual, no one really gets offended if you we go back to the basics, right? So, gas turbines are a general term used to define thermal machines used for, you know, generate thrust and, and power from a combustion reaction. Usually, these machines follow the idealized Brydon thermodynamics gas cycle, which means compression, and then heat gain f with uh, under a constant pressure uh, from combustion, basically. Uh, then we have a turbine expansion, uh, where usually this turbine is harvesting the energy of the flow to drive the compressor and or also drive uh, more things, like a shaft for power or a propeller for thrust and etc. And then we have a heat loss with the constant pressure. Of course, the real cycle, it's, you know, changed a little bit. The compressor and the turbine are not isentropic. Uh, and the cycle is usually actually open. So we don't have this last stop, this last step of uh, exchanging heat. Uh, we're just uh, breathing new air, basically. There is a lot of different variables, things that people who don't work with uh, gas turbines or engines in general don't even think about it but how you know the different altitude that you are operating changes the inlet conditions for your machine so you need to plan for that and you need to compensate for that and etc so it's uh it's fascinating honestly it's it's really fascinating so there are many different variables and depending on the application but the main layouts that we talked in during this podcast are a turbojet that mainly is for thrust applications. So there is a compressor, uh, combustion chamber, turbine, and the turbine drives the compressor. And then the exit um, flow is accelerated basically to generate as much uh, thrust as possible. And then we have the gas turbines that also, you know, the, where the turbine drives the compressor and also drives uh, and also generates shaft power. And this shaft might be a turbo shaft that is using for something uh, so the power is generating there but also the shaft can be driving directly or indirectly with a gearbox uh, propeller so a turbofan or a turboprop turboprop um, so usually what people call aircraft turbines is a turbofan okay so uh, and it's much more than a turbine but i know that by common sense we call it a turbine but uh yeah so there is also turbines there but there is so much else um and it is later ones actually there is something that we also talk about the in the podcast that is the bypass ratio so if you think about an engine an aircraft engine you have all the air coming in through the fan uh not everything is going to the gas turbine just a part of it so you know how you know, there's different ways of controlling this 
to design a gas turbine for different bypass ratios, and we talked about it. And these are only the main flow paths, so where the air is going through mainly, and then you know the combustion, etc. Making sure those things have the appropriate fuel being delivered, have the appropriate lubrication, sealing. Uh, is usually the work of people working with the secondary flow systems. And that's something that today's guest is a specialist. So today I'm talking with English Erden. He holds a PhD from the University of Manchester and he's currently a senior engineer, thermal systems design and compressor aerodynamics and testing at TEI. Uh, I met him some years ago when he was the compressor test rig owner for the helicopter engine TS-1400. We talked a little bit about this engine and uh, uh, it isn't, now we can actually talk about this <laughs> because this engine have just been officially released in December 2020. So yeah, that's how, that's how we met in the, some stuff related with this engine and but let's leave it at that. <laughs> and uh, TEI, uh, the, uh, in case you're wondering, uh, stands for Tussage Engine Industry. Uh, and it was found in, founded in 1985. And it is a joint venture between GE Aviation, the Turkish Aerospace Industries, Turkish Armed Forces Foundation, and the Turkish Aeronautical Association. Um and that's one of the things that actually impresses me that it's uh, the company is actually fairly young. Uh, most of the players in this gas turbine world are really old companies. So the TI is actually a relatively new company in this, uh, in this market. So yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, English also is also currently an honorary research associate at the University of Glasgow. So we talked a little bit about his interesting career going back and forth with uh, Academia. Uh, in a very practical and hands-on way. Uh, we also talked about life in Turkey, other subjects, and of course, we talked a lot about gas turbines. So um, I hope you guys liked this conversation as much as I did. I don't have much um, housekeeping for the podcast. Just please keep the feedbacks coming. Uh, it's all interesting to, you know, if you want me to comment something on the news, I'm thinking about very soon doing a podcast uh, episode that might be just myself, but just maybe going through some of the news that I find, let's say, appealing. And I would like to tell my engineering perspective and why some stuff just don't, don't make sense or some stuff that actually do make sense and don't have a lot of uh, platform for it. Um, yeah, that's about it. Hope you guys enjoy as much as I did. There we go. Yeah, off we go. Thank you very much for being here, Yannick. Merhaba. Merhaba. Merhaba, Tiago. Yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure uh, meeting you after some years. and. Uh, it's good that we're going to have this podcast and we're going to you know discuss about different stuff in the gas turbine world uh, i can briefly i can briefly introduce myself uh i'm erin chardem and i'm an aerospace engineer with some experience in aerothermals and uh, i'm i've uh, i'm graduated from middle east technical university aerospace engineering then did a did a master's in mechanical engineering 
then did a research master in von Karman Institute uh, some time ago, 15 years ago actually. <laughs> then moved to Manchester in 2006, did a PhD over there in high-speed aerodynamics and measurement techniques in high-speed aero and did a postdoc afterwards, uh, two years more. And in 2013, we, me and my wife, we shifted back to Turkey and I started working for uh, GE Aviation in, in Turkey. And my main focus was uh, engine bay cooling or compartment cooling of gas turbine engines mm -hmm. and some rot rotor stator cooling or secondary systems as well. And for the last five and a half years, I'm working for TEI, uh, Tusash Engine Industries. It's the, uh, it's the company in Turkey that produces gas turbine engines, indigenous gas turbine engines, as well as manufacturing many parts for different engine programs. And, uh, mm -hmm. and it's 46% uh, owned by GE. Uh, but in, in R&D, we're pursuing our own uh, engine development projects and engine development programs. So that was kind of a brief introduction uh, cool. of myself. That's really cool. Yeah. And actually, that's a question there. Like, uh, you know, seeing on your... On your LinkedIn, it looks like yeah, you did your master and your PhD, but you're always involved with companies in the meantime. So it kind of was a, it was like a pretty good blend between academic and industry. It was never like a full academic research. No, Is that correct? You're yeah, you're absolutely right. Even for my master thesis, I was working for a missile company in Turkey, and mm -hmm. I was doing secondary air injection into a rocket nozzle basically, and. Uh, you know, investigating the flow fields and the uh, side thrust generated because of this injection. That sort of mm -hmm. that, that was again my master's was very applied, and my PhD was applied as well. I mean, I was in the Aero Lab, I was a lab, <laughs> lab rat also, and was doing <laughs> experiment all the time. And it was again, uh, you know, it was again an injection thing. It was close to my master's, but a bit different. It, again, mm -hmm. it was an applied. Uh, research uh, program or applied research subject, not very, you know, out of the blue, like fundamental research. I was never, you know, I, I always wanted to have some sort of application aspect of the things uh, mm -hmm. of what I'm researching about. So I was never into the like pure academic research or like pure, uh, you know, fun, very fundamental flow physics investigation whatsoever. That wasn't compelling uh, to me. So. Mm -hmm. And uh, for gas turbines, it's it's all about obviously application. So I, I, I kind of uh, blended uh, academics with the with the industry. So picking by picking the subjects close to uh, mm -hmm. industrial uh, in close to industry actually. So yeah, that's, that's the, that's these subjects, applications, they always had this you know industrial application perspective to that. Mm -hmm. But as you know, you're doing a PhD, you write your thesis and you, you know, publish papers. Again, you mm -hmm. can publish papers from the applied research, you know, there's, there's absolutely nothing stopping you that. So we did publish absolutely. quite a lot of good, good, good papers and they were all mm -hmm. applied. For instance, nothing very fundamental physics, like I haven't written anything on the journal Fluid Mechanics, which is a, which is a top journal anyways, but uh, we had something on the physics of fluids and we mm -hmm. were looking at shockwave boundary layer interaction. Again, mm -hmm. it was an application point. So that's how I mm -hmm. feel. And you know, people got the conception of or like misconception of like, yo, if you go to academy, then you're going to be a lecturer, you're going to be a professor at some point. But it's not it's not actually true. And in, in Turkey, even uh, people are 
quite inclined to that perspective, but I don't think it's necessarily true. And in, in, in mainland Europe or UK, you, you have multiple people with PhDs, lots of people with PhDs working in the, in the industry. Yeah, 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 not in the and Sometimes they go back, they are in a company, and they go back to do their PhD, actually funded by the company they are with. Right, right, exactly. So, I mean, it's it's good to have good links with the universities and do the Absolutely. kind of fund, uh, yeah, you know, maybe you can subcontract the fundamental research part of the thing that you're designing. And afterwards, mm -hmm. you know, when it re reaches a, a maturity, a sort of maturity level or technological level at, at some point, then you mm -hmm. can take mm -hmm. it and, you know, uh, do applied research in your in your own company. So the fundamental can be placed, can be subcontracted to a university, but then applied part of it, or like sometimes a, a very specific application of it can be done in the in the company. So mm -hmm. uh, I absolutely yeah, agree, and I it yeah. was kind of a pity. I, that's actually what I wanted to do, but uh, when I started my academic career, it was like the only thing that I could get funded was a project that I was not interested, and in. it was like so much. What are you saying? Like, it was kind of out of the blue, just a very deep, like, um, uh, a very deep in the investigation into CFD. And I was just like, I like it. I use CFD every day, but I don't want to be the guy writing the CFD. I want to use that to develop something else. Do you know what I mean? So right. I was kind of turned off, and then I ended up going to industry, and I've been ever since. But every yeah. now and then, I'm kind of like, Mm, should I go back? Uh, I kind of feel like if there is the right project with the right people, I I probably would go back in a in a blink. To be honest, I think at some point you you might want to go back if you want a bit, you know, uh, kind of serenity. I would say, like you know, if you like at some point at some age, you know, you might want to ease out a little bit, chill out a little bit, because in the yeah, in, I mean. It's the universal lifestyle. It's a bit more relaxed, to be honest. And in, in mm -hmm. companies, I mean, we're working hard, obviously. That's that's the that's nature of the projects, and that's the timelines and everything. So, yeah, it's much more dynamic environment in companies, as you know. Mm -hmm. In in the in uh, in the university, it's much more relaxed. Maybe at some point you might want to shift, but not that not at this age, I suppose. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that, that's my, you know, was that like a, that's how I feel about, yeah. Was it like a deliberate decision or that kind of happened on the way? Like when you're doing, you're ending your under, undergraduate or your master, it kind of opened the opportunity for something else or you made a deliberate decision like, I want to try to do a PhD that is really applied or, well, just the Von Karman Institute in itself is a pretty big name, yeah. so I, I assume you wanted yeah. to go there anyway. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Even in Von Karman Institute, the uh, it was application based. It was related mm -hmm. with the uh, with the solid rocket boosters. So it it wasn't again like uh, out of the blue, like fundamental research. So it was an applied research. I always, mm -hmm. you know, find it more interesting and intriguing to work on uh, you know stuff that's that's applicable. That's not very fundamental. That's applicable. Again, mm -hmm. you know, you need to scratch your head and you need to go deep into that to investigate. But mm -hmm. you know, it's It'll, it's nice to have an application point. Absolutely. So even from Carmona Institute was applied, I would say. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool, that's yeah. good to hear. And, uh, and talking about Turkey, actually, that's something, at least on, on my side, being on you know, the US and Brazil and Australia where I lived before. The first time I went, I went to Turkey was actually for work. I actually only been to Turkey for work and then I had a couple of days to go around, but I personally found really amazed how many women I found in the workplace. Like, you know, people always in the, in, 
right now in the US and most of the Eastern countries are trying to push having more women on engineering. But when I went to right. Turkey, I was not assuming, maybe it's because my prejudice of like, oh, uh, you know, a country that is majority Muslim and et cetera. But when I went to most of the companies, we had a lot of women engineers, a lot of women that were like actually the chief engineer. I was amazed of that. I, maybe for you, it's not news, but I, when I went there, like it looked like every meeting I went, there was a lot of women in the room. And that's not the case when I went to Europe or to the USA. Oh, that's that's good to hear. I mean, that's a, a, obviously you know people have different perceptions about Turkey and mm -hmm. uh, you know how it's been portrayed in media. It's, it's another thing, and I don't want to go into the, that. But oh yeah, you know, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I would say in most of the companies, you know, uh, in the, most of the high tech companies or defense industry in Turkey, there are lots of uh, lots of women working mm -hmm. and uh, it's it's very common because um, you know when you after the high school you go to university and uh, you know the, the the women that goes that go to the university eventually they they work for good companies and uh, the mm -hmm. the population is is quite quite high up so uh, you, that there's there's no wonder that you meet lots of women and even mm -hmm. in our company I think we're reaching like in R&D, we, we're about 25 to 30 percent. I think it was something oh. around that. Yeah, and yeah, R&D, we like, yeah, we're, we're around 600. So I think yeah, 25 to 30 percent is is women, and all graduated mm -hmm. from universities. So mm -hmm. uh, uh, obviously there are different uh, parts of Turkey and that are you know a bit more conservative, let's say. Then, mm -hmm. uh, but the times are changing. So the 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 proportion of women going to the universities and then starting work, working for companies uh, mm -hmm. and for you know, for many uh, for for like working in general, uh, it's increasing significantly. So mm -hmm. uh, that's what I mean. If you if you hang around in Turkey and if you go to an engineering company, then you'll definitely see women working. And, yeah. uh, chemical engineering, mechanic. Me, well, the, the proportion in mechanical engineering is very less, obviously. Aerospace engineering yeah. is good. Chemical engineering is good. Um, mm -hmm. Environmental engineering is good. Civil engineering is good. I mean, they've got a good proportion, and mm -hmm. uh, you see lots of lots of women. Uh, maybe electronics is is not that much, but <laughs> electronics much, and yeah. mechanical engineering, yeah, they they don't they don't have many uh, women graduates. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, other engineers, they they've got lots of uh, lots of women graduating. Mm -hmm. So there's no, yeah, I mean, uh, no wonder that we have got lots of women working. In the yeah, industry. but that's pretty interesting. That's uh, I don't know, maybe it was just the way that, it, as you said, I w it was portrayed for me for my whole life. But when I got it, I was just like, yeah, oh, yeah. you know, well, the chief engineer is actually a woman. I was like, that's a good surprise. Do you know what I mean? That, that's, that's right, cool, right, that's right. Cool, right. Cool yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. Uh, you don't get to see those things in, in Turkey uh, from outside. You don't get to see uh, the, the projects or the um, uh, the improvements in the in the country, and in, you don't get to see much. Basically, you always see uh, other stuff, basically related with politics, related with the uh, with other stuff, with the wars around uh, yeah, with neighbors, and, right. uh, these conflicts and 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 such, basically. So when you go to the companies. Uh, this is a different story, I could tell. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I have a, like right now, Brazil is not in a very good place economically and industrially. So I have a lot of friends who are engineers as well, doing other jobs. 
And I actually, that's something right. I always tell them, like, if you guys want to be engineers, you guys should go to Turkey. There is like a lot of jobs in engineering everywhere. Everyone I know is actually, they actually kind of find it hard to keep the engineers, especially on entry level, because they keep going from company to company because there is so many jobs that they just going around. Is that, yeah. is that yeah. still the case, I guess? Yeah, that, well, that, that's a good point though, actually, you know, um, as a developing country, you got lots of things to do in your country because you're still developing. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, whereas in the in the UK or in the US or even Germany, it's, it's I, I believe it's really good. But in the UK and US, the the jobs are very scarce, obviously, and there's mm -hmm. not many openings around. But in a developing country, yes, you'll have lots of opportunities and lots of jobs, and people should uh, take advantage of that. And uh, you know, you know, should uh, people should apply. To all you know, uh, available positions around, I would say it, it's an it's a very open market, and we are in high demand for engineers. Uh, mm -hmm. Whether it's a it's a construction civil engineer or mechanical engineer, lots of lots of things being built. Whether it's a nuclear thing as well, there's a nuclear uh, power plant being built by the Russians. So oh, wow. uh, we are in need. Yeah, we are, we are in need for nuclear engineers as well, and. Uh, yeah, that's uh, really terrible. That's good to know because the the I really like Turkish people. They're really nice. Every time I went there, and the food is just amazing. So don't 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 do that much marketing. My wife may not yeah, be happy. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. be moving. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think the food <laughs> the food surrounding is is nice. Uh, mm -hmm. In the big cities, it's a bit you know crowded and and the traffic is is especially in Istanbul. It's a bit hassle. Mm -hmm. uh, but in, again, the beauties of Istanbul outweigh the, the, the you know the horrible <laughs> horrible traffic, and in the <laughs> south in the in the west coast south coast it's really nice for vacations. In the mm -hmm. north part, it's really nice for you know hiking and and going up the mountains. It's mm -hmm. it's a bit like okay, or it, it's a bit like Scotland actually. But, mm -hmm. You know, northeast is a bit it's a bit like Scotland, the Highlands, I would mm -hmm. say. And the east has got other things and. Well, I was I was I was snowboarding for for uh, four weeks ago. Actually, we've got really? lots of snowboarding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a place. Really? Yeah, it's a, yeah. Uh, I mean, in Eskişehir, uh, the, the, there's a city next to Eskişehir, 130, 140 kilometers away, mm -hmm. and there's a mountain, a very you know popular mountain, and it's a it's a very you know renowned resort uh, for you know, and we can just go there by two hours. So it's it's a good good wow. thing. Yeah, yeah, and also in the east, there are a couple of uh, nice ski places and well, uh -huh. resorts and such. So Gosh, you can. Do, uh, you're, doing, yeah. you're doing too much advertising for me, Ange. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, there are lots of things to do in in our country actually. Mm -hmm. uh, there are other things that are not that good, but just you mm -hmm. know, you can. Yeah, just like every country. Opinion. Yeah, I like Turkey very much. To be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So, and uh, yeah. changing a little bit subjects, I saw you're still a research associate. In you talk about Scotland, you're still, still a research associate in the University of Glasgow. I'm still, yeah, I'm still connected to my uh, uh, supervisor or professor over there. He's head of aerospace mm -hmm. over there in Glasgow. So mm -hmm. uh, from time to time, uh, I, I, I go there and visit them, and, and uh, we do uh, collaborative work, and we still write papers, basically. Cool. Uh, but this COVID thing has has I stopped it obviously. Yeah. I was I was going to go to London 2020 in the Tubo Expo. Then I was going yeah, to visit my yeah, visit my professor in in Glasgow from there, but everything is cancelled. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, I'm going I'm going to visit them at some point after these this horrific hor horrific thing has has eased mm -hmm. out. So 
Yeah. Well, let me know. Let's have a coffee when you're here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll certainly. Yeah. Do, you. do you have a favorite patisier for Turbo for the Turbo Expo? Uh, we we had a paper, but the uh, the the well the corrections was a bit much, so <laughs> we're going to resubmit <laughs> next year. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so yeah, well, I, yeah, I have one, and I actually what what you just said about the you know this mix between applied research and etc. I did a we can go offline about it in more detail, but it's a it's about like turbocharging modeling with the engine modeling and etc. And uh, one of the reviewers. He put that, oh, not as much interesting for research, but that one is going to be applied. That it might be useful for uh, engineers actually working with that. I'm like, well, that's exactly my intent. So I'm not doing a paper for people doing like hardcore research. Like I'm not doing any, you know, new models or anything. I'm actually applying how you can use these tools that exist to kind of, you know, make it better your research and do like the turnaround to a new prototype be quicker. So I found kind of funny that he put that almost like in a bad way. I was like, no, that's exactly with this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I believe, you know, Turbo Expos has got some, has got this vision of, you know, you can blend, you can put applied research and you can put like fundamental research. I think they're, they should be okay with it. Uh, and it's they not are. a, it's, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a gas turbine institute. So there are plenty of gas turbine working around and, and uh, you know that gas turbine itself is an applied thing, anyways. So you know, and Absolutely. also turbo they're very applied. Wind turbines they're very applied. So I mean, you can um, the, obviously there are other conferences that specifically focus on turbulent flows, shear internal flows. Like that's purely you know flow based and purely fundamental. So mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that, mm -hmm. Expo is not like that conference those mm -hmm. like those conferences it's an applied conference as well i mean you can present many stuff coming from yeah uh, different absolutely I mean, yeah i just i didn't like it at all i mean <laughs> so the application <laughs> is still worth uh, i mean worth to be published you know an application mm -hmm. of a, a different model or like how we couple the turbocharger with the the with an engine it's still worth to be published it's a i think it's a it's a you know it's a Good subject to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We, I found it yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. Anyway. So let's talk about you now. So you're working at TI, that, as you said, is the engine company in Turkey. Yeah. I was just doing some, you know, very quick research. It was founded just in '85, and actually, if people don't work in the gas turbine world, maybe they don't realize, but like, like it's a really young company to be doing their own engines. Like there's other right. companies that we're talking about, like. GE and Rolls-Royce and Pratt. These companies have been around for like 100, 150 years. And now you right. have TEI that's like funded in 85 and they have their own right. engines and stuff. So that's actually pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, TEI started in 85 with a, with a contract from GE. And mm -hmm. at that time, Turkey was buying, well, they were getting F-110 engines for F-16s. So mm -hmm. uh, it started as like a couple of, it started as parts manufacturer for GE and GE owned some percent of our company, obviously. So it all started with parts manufacturing, static parts actually, in mm -hmm. the F-110 after burning uh, engine. Then it has evolved into many parts, rotating parts and stationary parts and, and lots of different parts, discs, discs, 
mm -hmm. uh, casings, uh, bearing housings, uh, you name it. Like we, we produce lots of lots of parts for different engine programs. We I think we, we support like 40 engine programs, and the, the, we're the biggest manufacturer for Leap engine and GENX of the really? G. So so mm -hmm. most probably you have flown you have flown with parts manufactured by TEI. So uh, and lots of CFF 56, CF6. And T seven hundred turbo shaft engine, TP four hundred, F one ten, lots of different engine programs. Mainly G oriented, but also other uh, other companies as well. Uh, mm. But I, I'm not sure whether we produce anything for Pratt. No, we don't probably. Uh, but there mm. are some resource parts as well. So uh, that's the that's the that was the you know initiation of TEI, and after two thousands, it started doing its own uh, R&D and it started doing bits and pieces uh, mm -hmm. like parts of the engine or like modules of the engine for mm -hmm. for a consortium for instance or for a um, for a small project for small projects for like you know changing design sort of things like updates in designs or upgrades that sort of thing like some small bits and pieces mm -hmm. and TP400 was the biggest uh, R&D program that we were you know enrolled and it started in 2007, I think, 2007, 2008. And we were mm -hmm. responsible for the front frame and uh, the exhaust and a couple of other, other parts from, you know, from design to manufacture and everything, basically. So, and mm -hmm. uh, we took part in certification of these parts as well. So that was the initiation of R&D properly. And mm -hmm. after 2000s, the, the need for the turboshaft engines for indigenous helicopter Mm -hmm. uh, civilian helicopter that Turkish aircraft industries is building uh, arose so that we, we started working on uh, a turbo shaft engine program in 2013 and a mm -hmm. couple of years of like you know uh, demonstrator work pre-design pre work and unofficial kickoff started in 2015 and official kickoff started in 2017 so we've got some you know we've got some uh, little bit of history over there it started with uh, the, the very you know, foundation started in 2013, so it's been seven years, seven to eight years, I would mm -hmm. say, and we've got a couple of prototypes up and running. Uh, and mm -hmm. They're working fine, so we are we are happy with that. But we've got we we are fully aware of the fact that we need will need to do more and we need to learn more. But uh, we also have got the you know, uh, I mean, we believe ourselves and we we and uh, and we 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 think we can build uh, a turbocharged engine from scratch. And we can, you know, design it and manufacture it in house and, and assemble it in, and put it into test stand and run it in house all together. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've got the confidence to do that, to be honest. So, mm -hmm. uh, but that doesn't mean that we, you know, you, we, we we still want to stay humble. Obviously, you know, we've got lots of things to do, mm -hmm. and uh, we've got lots of things to learn that people have, you know, spent their you know, years to learn. So we we yeah, we know that we're a young company, but yeah, but that's yeah. again, that's really impressive. It's really cool to have your own engines already. And well, Natalie jumped at it. We met a couple of years ago specifically for the TS1400 project. That is a tubo shaft engine for helicopters, right. basically. And uh, yeah, yeah, if you can talk about a little bit about Mark, it's it's really cool to be involved, you know, that early on. Now, just like now, in I guess it was December, right? In 2020, it was released to the public. So it's cool to see, like, right, oh, now, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. now we can talk about it. That hey, this engine is yeah, actually yeah. up there, and I was involved yeah. with you back then. Yeah, 
Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm going to mention the parts that are open to the public. Oh, and of course. TS yeah. Yeah, TS-1400 is the indigenous turboshaft engine uh, mm -hmm. developed and it's being developed actually uh, for the uh, helicopter that Turkish aircraft industries is building. So Turkish aircrafts and uh, aircraft industries and two such engine industry, we're like sister company sort of. They mm -hmm. are the platform makers and we're the engine makers. Mm -hmm. And we're building, uh, the, the, currently the helicopter has got uh, Rolls-Royce engines. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they, they I think they're, they're, they're a bit shy of 1400 shaft horsepower. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're going to certify the helicopter with those engines. Afterwards, we're going to, you know, um, after we do, we, we finish developing our own engines, we're going to put them onto that onto that helicopter, and we're going to um, certify with uh, the the helicopter with our engines. So that's mm -hmm. the intent. And it's a uh, it's a fourteen hundred uh, turbo shaft, fourteen hundred shaft horsepower turbo shaft engine that's mm -hmm. composed of an ax axial inlet, then two stages radial compressors, then reverse combustor two-stage uh, turbine and two-stage uh, PT, uncooled PT. And then mm -hmm. uh, obviously the nozzle and the nozzle is a part of the uh, platform, not uh, part of the engine though. So it's mm -hmm. going to be hooked up to the uh, platform and the platform is going to use two of them. And, it, and it's one engine in operative power can go up to 1660 shaft horsepower. One engine in operative is for emergency cases, obviously, when, as, you're, as you're taking off or as something happens and mm -hmm. if one engine shuts down, and flames out, whatever for for some for any reason that you need an extra boost power to reach a, a decision altitude, sort of speak. And after the decision altitude, you can either land or you can uh, switch to a max continuous power, and you can run your mission with mm -hmm. reduced power. Then afterwards, when you land, obviously there's going to be a uh, there's going to be a, a record of that thing, and the the engine uh, after after some one engine inoperative uh, occurrences. Then it, it needs to go to maintenance, obviously. But yeah, the the, the turbo shaft engines have got extra power for this contingency situation, so it can go mm -hmm. up to sixteen sixty shaft horsepower uh, mm -hmm. by running it hot, obviously. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's the uh, TS fourteen hundred, and we are here in TI with like nearly six hundred engineers, and, and you know we're we're working hard to make these engines happen, and we've mm -hmm. uh, in the past we've you know successfully tested. Uh, designed and tested two engines from scratch. So, mm -hmm. uh, as I said, you know, we we we're going to stay humble, and we still a lot of we've still got lots of things to learn. But I think we're in the right path, and we're going to uh, hopefully be successful for the absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's it's job. already impressive for sure. And 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 maybe it's a little bit of my uh, lack of knowledge, let's say, in this world of like aviation. One thing that really caused my attention, being a turbo machinery engineer, that would really cause my attention is having two centrifugal compressors in the beginning instead of right. like the usual axial compressors that you have in the big engines. Why is that? I can only like I think that makes a lot of sense for a, a bunch of reasons, but also that causes a lot of trouble in terms of like axial loads and radial loads. So why right. with this engine? It's so common to have one or two uh, radial right. compressors. Yeah, I mean, usually in small engines, uh, you know, as, as you know, the the compressors are cl are uh, classified by specific speed. So the specific yes, speed of the yeah, 
if you're handling uh, if you're handling very low flow rate and if you're pumping up to a higher pressure ratio then your specific speed is going to going be low to, it's going to be yeah. yeah it's going to be less than two and then two around two ish is where well between one and two it's where the mixed flow compressors are and below one is probably you know you need to pick a you need to pick a uh, a centrifugal compressor that's for sure unless you've got mm -hmm. other constraints in the small engines obviously you've got you know the limited amount of power it's not like a big tube of fine whatsoever so the powers are small so the mass flow rates are small and mm -hmm. when you have got mass flow rates when you got low mass flow rates and you need to pump to a higher pressure ratio that's a perfect place for a centrifugal compressor mm -hmm. another thing is you know uh, since the you know the, the helicopters are small <laughs> and the engine bays are small the the packaging issue becomes very important as well. So, you mm -hmm. know, with just one radial compressor, you can go up to, I, I mean, the technology level, as you know, it's over 10, pressure ratio of 10, but, you know, it, realistically in the engine applications with single stage comp uh, radial compressor, you can go up the pressure ratio of six, seven easily, you know, not mm -hmm. easily, I would say, but like, you know, confidently, I would say. Uh, so to, in order to reduce the number of, parts and number of stages and reduce the compressor ax axial length and in order to reduce the parts as well as this is very important as well and make it Absolutely. compact and, mm -hmm. and short and, and tiny but packs lots of power I think the radial compressor are a very good uh, choice as long as you don't you know uh, you don't violate your you know um, envelope envelope requirements so if you're doing your compressor very big in terms of uh, you know radius then you obviously mm -hmm. your whole engine casing diameter is going to be big, so you're going to have a hard time uh, placing them with lots of accessories around the engine. You know, we, we always think about like engine and the, uh, the combustor case or compressor case, but or you know, in a turbofan world, it's the LPT case that's the highest radius. But mm -hmm. then you on top of that, you got lots of accessories, so you <laughs> you have to you have to wrap accessories around the engine uh, tightly as well. It's not mm -hmm. like a, a turbofan, turbofan, you got, yeah, you know, plenty of space, but in a turboshaft engine, you got limited space for installation and limited space for accessories. You need to, you know, really uh, consider the packaging uh, carefully. Mm -hmm. And uh, and radial compressors are robust. And that's yeah. one good thing. Then they can, you know, they can uh, withstand lots of, lots of loads and lots of uh, stall margin requirement because the, you know, significant amount of work is done by radius change. So you've got a good margin over there. And FOD resistance is good as well because the impellers are, are blisk. So they've got bulky disks holding them. So, mm -hmm. all, you know, in, in overall, uh, radial compressors are a good choice for helicopter for small engines. Mm -hmm. And in our configuration, you know, I, I would say up to a certain point, it makes more sense to go to an axial plus radial configuration. Yeah, axial plus radial, it's, it's very common as well. I would and say it's getting uh, like, more and more common. It seems like most yeah. of the new mid-range engines are, are going to be like axial plus radial. Right, right. Even the Honda turbofan engine, for instance, it's got a fan and a two stages booster and a one uh, radial compressor. And it's mm -hmm. got a, a thrust rating around 2,000 pounds of thrust or some, somewhere like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, the radial compressors are, 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 are good for you know, low uh, ma engine mass flow rates. And and in helicopter engines, it's, it's very common to have low mass flow rates. And uh, mm -hmm. so it, it makes sense. But I would say after, after like four kilograms a second, four, four and a half kilograms a second, it's better to switch to axial plus radial configuration. So below four, four, four and a half, 
Mm-hmm. It's you know you can get away two radials. That mm-hmm. that's a, that's cool. the beauty of it basically. Yeah. So even the Axial Plus radial configuration, you need to have like three four stages up front of the radial. So mm-hmm. again, you're going to make make the compressor longer, and you're going to have more parts, and yeah. you most probably you're going to have IGVs and BSVs. So that's that brings out complexity as well. So two mm-hmm. stage radial configuration is 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 a simple nice design. So it it has got very less parts, and it's 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 simple. It's good to have simple designs with few few parts and, and reduce complexity and sort of yeah. so these Even sort if of you have IGVs in the in the radio compressors is simpler, right? You just control it once right. or or maybe two and, and that's about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean you might yeah, as you said, you might have some IGVs, but again, uh, compared to an axial one, again the the, the complexity is significantly reduced. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. that's that's but very upside. But for a small engine like that, I bet, and I guess people don't know, but your specialty your specialty is actually in secondary flows. And I right. honestly think in gas turbines, that's probably harder than designing the turbo machinery itself. It's not in every application, but for gas turbines. Yeah, it's really hard. So when you're talking about secondary systems, what are we talking about? Fuel, lubrication, cooling, anything else? Uh, right. Sealing, obviously. Sealing oh, is a big yeah. part of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, sealing of uh, bearing chambers as well as sealing mm-hmm. of uh, the rotor stator cavities in the turbine section. As mm-hmm. you know, the, the the materials that we have for the turbine blades and vanes, they're very capable and they can withstand mm-hmm. high temperatures. But the the disc spaces or the wheel spaces or rotor stator cavities or rotor rotor cavities, they they are surrounded by disc materials and disc materials are not that capable in terms of temperature. Temperature wise, mm-hmm. they are not that, that capable. So when the hot gas air, because of any flow path variation, uh, enters into the rotor stator cavity, it's going to heat up your discs and your discs are start to you know heat up and they start to uh, kind of. Uh, Grow. They're going to expand. Then they, you, you might have some excursions. You might have some radial movements, radial displacements, mm-hmm. or axial displacements. You might have some rotor state of contact and, and those sort of things. And those those can lead to uh, problems with the integrity of the disks. So when you have mm-hmm. that problem with your disk, then you lose the engine because it's, you cannot contain a disk. You can contain blades and veins, but you cannot contain disk. So if you start heating up your disks, and up to a point that you, you're, you know, you're having plastic deformation, then you can, you know, easily and quickly lose your discs. And once the disc is gone, the engine is gone, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's why you need to purge those cavities. You need to, you know, uh, you you shouldn't let hot gas ingestion uh, enter inside inside of the cavity in a, in a in a significant amount so that it'll heat the discs up to a point that its integrity is compromised. So mm-hmm. those sort of things is also considered as sealing. And also in the turbine section, you've got lots of static parts and you you place static parts, you assemble them together, but they're all gaps around. You know, you cannot mm-hmm. put metal to metal exactly. I mean, if you don't even do, you don't put anything else, any, any sealing element uh, in between those metal parts, the, the surface roughness of that thing, you're going to leak air. It's impossible yeah. to hold air, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. the air is going to leak from high pressure to low pressure, no matter you do what, basically. So, mm-hmm. you, in those uh, casings and in those static parts, or the the, the junctions with those uh, junctions of these static parts, you need to you need to place sealing elements, and that's also mm-hmm. a, a significant part of the secondary systems. 
And one final thing is, as you said, for the radial compressors, you, you, they've got high, high radial, high axial loads because of the back, impeller back faces. And one uh, significant function of SAS is to, uh, or secondary system, is to control the bearing loads by placing mm -hmm. uh, critical seals at certain radius or by, by changing the swirl ratios inside rotor stator cavities and manipulating swirl. Uh, mm -hmm. So that you 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 got a, you can get a reduction uh, mm -hmm. in axial loads uh, and managing those uh, axial loads coming from different uh, parts. I mean, you got axial loads from the aerodynamics, and that you can get it from the aero people. Uh, mm -hmm. The the is going to give you axial uh, the the aero loads from compressor and turbine. Compressor is pushing forward, turbine is pushing rearwards, uh, and then the rest of the cavities and the rest of the Parts is coming from secondary air system, so you need to manage the secondary. You need to manage the axial loads from secondary air system perspective. So essentially, it's cooling, uh, sealing, and pressurization, and control of axial loads. That's the se secondary air systems. On top of yeah. that, you got oil systems and fuel systems. So yeah. they've got uh, different, obviously, requirements, and mm -hmm. it's a it's a very important topic actually. All these fluid systems. Let's call it fluid systems. It's a mm -hmm. it's a very very functional discipline. You know, it's it's not a it's not pure aero. It's applied, and it's uh, I mean aero is applied as well. But like it's uh, I mean it's uh, you, you need to deal with many many people. You I, I, you're going to get some boundary conditions from aero. You're going to get mechanical uh, geometry and mechanical gaps and clearance from mechanical design, and mm -hmm. you got good uh, interaction with uh, thermals. Because your flows are going to change the thermal behavior mm -hmm. of the discs and the metal, and you got uh, you know uh, good interaction with clearances, you got good interaction with other uh, disciplines. So it's a it's a functional it's a functional discipline. It has to perform its functions based on the requirements. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, a, a, for instance, a, a requirement for a compressor I design is you know stall margin, mass flow rate. Pressure ratio mm -hmm. and efficiency, nothing else, right? Yeah. And you need to design it around that. And in secondary system, you've got different requirements for some pressurization. You've got different requirements for cooling, and you've got different requirements for uh, you know venting uh, air from the sumps. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've got different requirements for oil systems and fuel systems, and you got different requirements for heat exchangers. That's linking the oil system and the fuel system, for instance. Yeah. Because your 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 engine is doing maneuvers and your engine is doing different missions. And if you're linking fuel system with the oil system, then you got uh, you got some design points that they, they, that are going to dictate the size of your heat exchanger, for instance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, you know, it's a, it's a very multidisciplinary, functional discipline. Uh, that performs its functions, that needs to perform its functions mm -hmm. uh, in, a ro in a robust manner. So it has to be tolerant about, you know, engine is doing lots of things or, you know, in the, in the mission or uh, when, it's, when it's pushed to the limit or when it's, you know, decelled back, you know, you can, you, know, you can have different phenomena going around the engine. So it has to tolerate all these, uh, secondary system needs to tolerate all these uh, excursions from a, a nice, Standard it it kind of needs to overcome to everything else that is going in, in the right, engine. Right, right. Yeah, it has to act in a robust manner, basically. So it mm -hmm. shouldn't be too sensitive to changes. It should, you know, pro it should satisfy its functions. Even the, you know, even in fa fail scenarios, for instance, if you like, if you're routing air and uh, with a pipe, and your when your pipe is broken for some reason, 
for Barbish for anything else, then the mm -hmm. system integrity shouldn't be compromised. For instance, mm -hmm. the system secondary system sh should still perform. Or failed seals, for instance, your seals might be off, or they they might experience heavy rubbing, and they, mm -hmm. and your yeah, your clearance might be really open. Mm -hmm. So again, your system should tolerate those uh, those sort of things. So it's a it's a it's a nice area to work on, and it's a, absolutely uh, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's the system level approach that you need to follow, which means mm -hmm. you, you touch everywhere in the engine. So it's not just one module. You need mm -hmm. to speak with compressor, you need to speak with inlet, you need to speak with the fuel systems, uh, oil systems, turbine, combustor, mm -hmm. the area around combustor, the power turbine, the sumps, the bearing chambers, lots of lots of different things basically. Even engine bay cooling outside the engine. Again, it's a yeah, it's it's a still a cooling perspective, it's a still cooling function, mm -hmm. but that's doing something else. You're cooling the accessories in the engine bay mm -hmm. cooling. Yeah. Right. Yes, so that's it's, really it's, interesting. Right, right after university, I wrote my thesis actually using system approach, and so I started working in a company. And uh, one of the very first projects I was involved was—I uh, think I can say that. I'm not saying the name of the company, but we're doing a consultancy work for a company doing a small aircrafts for uh, competitions. But those competitions that you do a lot of uh, aero—how uh, do you call that? In aerobatics. Aerobatics. Yeah, exactly. So the big thing that they didn't know exactly how to do it, and that's what we, uh, the consultancy project was involved, was to, to deliver the fuel systems to the engine. Because something that kind of blew my mind and never thought about it, it was the first time that I had to think about if I was using the gravity in my favor or against. And the pumps that we are using and in in how we, we are controlling the pumps to deliver the, the, the fuel, needs to be working on all the situations. It doesn't matter if it's upside down, if it's going up, it's going down. Right, right, right. It needs to keep delivering fuel. And I was like, this is crazy. I never thought about this. And this is just yeah. like one very specific application of secondary uh, fuel system. But as you said, like, it's kind of like the, the, the what pu puts the whole puzzle together. If the secondary systems are not working, it's just you don't have an engine. Right, right. You 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 lose the engine. That's for sure. That's why yeah. it's a functionality display. It has to perform its functions and it has to be robust and it has to work in different uh, attitudes and altitudes as well. Uh, what mm -hmm. you're saying is the aerobatic thing that you need to pressurize your fuel tank. You need, again with the engine, you need to pressurize your, your oil tank a little bit, or you know you have to show that it will still suck a. Uh, oil for, uh, with mm -hmm. the help of the pump, obviously, in the you know upside down conditions, for instance, and also like um, in the aerobatic, again, you you might end up in a case you're not uh, you're not lubricating your bearings for some mm. reason for some time. You even think about right? it. Yeah, and they, they, I, mean, I mean for some time, obviously, you know, you're mm -hmm. not going to run run it for like for hours or such, but for some minutes, your your bearings are going to be oil free right i mean there's still oil around it obviously it's churning and it's it's there uh, but you're not going to you're not going to inject oil to cool your bearings because your system might not work in the negative g for instance mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oil interruption you know you you should still work there right for some mm -hmm. time uh, after after a point then your bearings heat up quite a lot so obviously again that's a very risky point as well but you know, uh, there, there are some there are some requirements for uh, oil interruption or negative G flight. So you have to satisfy those requirements. Again, mm -hmm. the system has to work. The system has to be robust, and you should have oil inside bearing chambers for some time, so that you know, uh, even when you're not injecting oil, 
and each snack would heat up quite a lot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So those sort of yeah, those sort of functionality and and fuel manifold and you know distribution uh, along the uh, manifolds. Uh, it's a, again, it's a, it's a fluid systems job, and mm -hmm. uh, it has to work. Uh, it has to work robustly and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, a, it's very unique to every engine and to missions, right? So the same engine might have different requirements for different emissions and different engines, right. even for similar aircraft, it's completely different. So it's always almost a starting from scratch, right? You always need to redesign the whole system, right? Right, right. But when you got an when you have an engine that's reliable, and maybe you can, you, you know, you you might do a couple of tweaks to mm -hmm. uh, find its point, uh, find its spot in a dif different engine application or different. I would say different engine, but different application. So a turboshaft mm -hmm. turbo kind of, uh, you know, driving a, a turbo prop from a turboshaft engine is very common, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. But uh, there are other things that you, you have to be, you have to be concerned about, like the, the propeller gearbox and, and such. But you know you can kind of when you got an engine that is uh, you know, that's reliable, you can always drive it to a, drive the engine to a, to another application mm -hmm. uh, with, with with decent amount of design work. If you're doing too much, then obviously it makes sense to start from scratch. And yeah, you know if if it, if it cannot be derived uh, to a uh, to a, another engine for another application, then probably. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, you need to design from scratch. Yeah, and what you're saying, I guess I never really talked much about it, but that's why I guess it makes so much sense to use some of these big turbo props and turbo traps to just using power applications because in the aerospace you have so many requirements that when you just just generating power is just so much easier, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, for instance, you know, GE has utilized CF6 core. And for, uh, to uh, come up with the design of LM2500, LM6000, mm -hmm. and these are running everywhere, basically, all, all these for power production, obviously, and even mm -hmm. for ships as well. You know, they, you know, you hook up yeah, to sure. a, you hook up to a gearbox at the back. So you know, uh, the LM2500 has being used as, as in ships as well, and mm -hmm. 6000, I suppose. So when you've got a good, uh, you get when you've got a good uh, core, then you can always, you know drive it to a, to another application and in mm -hmm. this in the CF6 it's, it drives the fan obviously and then then you take out the fan you keep you still keep the booster and uh, and then you you connect the back end to the uh, back end mm -hmm. to the uh, generator and then the speeds are quite close actually you know you you know the, the fan speed no is 3000 rpm and your your yeah uh, yeah it's 50 hertz 3000 rpm it makes yeah. sense to yeah, they are, it makes sense to do an aeroderivative, that's for sure, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, they're very close to each other. And obviously, you're not, now you're not running the fan, you're just taking the core air uh, mm -hmm. through, the, through the engine, and you've got mm -hmm. excess power, and you, you, know, you hook up to a generator, and you're generating, you know, excess power, you're generating power from that. So, you know, aeroderivatives are very, very common, I would say. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's aero, aero engine derived into a uh, power production. But uh, mm -hmm. I was also mentioning the turbo shaft and turbo prop derivatives. Uh, you know, they're 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 kind of cousins. You know, they mm -hmm. yeah, and with some you know with some uh, additions of the propeller and propeller gearbox and those sort of uh, structures and, and parts. That's, uh, that's news for me. I didn't know you. That was a kind of a common thing to kind of switch for between this layout of the engine. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, it is common. I mean, as you know, the design work is very costly, you know, and you, 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 you know, you spend millions of dollars to design an engine to bring mm -hmm. it to a point that's reliable and up and working. So you don't want to redo that, right? It you want to use as much as possible in a as much as possible, design. yeah, yeah, as much as possible. You so you need to squeeze the 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 the, the, the most of your engine, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. If you can, yeah, if you can do another, if you can find another application, that's mm -hmm. brilliant, you know. You, and you should all as as a as an engine company, you have to do your market research very carefully. You know, you have to seek for new applications, and you know. You have to keep your eyes open to new things and uh, new applications and uh, possible derivative op uh, options. Mm -hmm. So uh, th that's the yeah, that's market research is one you know important part of the engine design. It's it's where it starts actually. So mm -hmm. uh, uh, so you need to read the market and you need to know the applications and you need to come up with your strategy, engine mm -hmm. design strategy or engine strategy in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's yeah. That's absolutely very. Interesting. I guess that also happens in many industries, but in the gas turbine, it's just as you said, it's so hard to get into your first engine that you absolutely want to use those parts as many times as possible in right, many right. in many different applications. Cool. And uh, talking in different ones, we talk, we didn't talk much about cooling specifically. And I guess well, for people who are not working that much in this industry, in gas turbines. Terry, if you go back to your bas basic thermodynamics in theory, the hotter, the better your engine. And sometimes we get to the limit of what our materials can actually support. And then we start, right. you know, in turbo machinery world, we always have the joke that compressors are always harder to design because the flow doesn't want to go in that direction. Usually turbines right. are easier because let's say a bad turbine still works. A bad compressor right. Right. is not going to work. That's, no, 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 that, not that's what happens. It's, it's, it's unless, a tougher job, right? Yeah, unless you're talking about cooled turbines, then then it's much harder than designing a compressor, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, compressor aerodynamic design is an art. I believe it's an art, and it you're pushing the flow against the pressure, mm -hmm. and you're you know pressurizing it bit by bit, bit by bit but in a stable, safe manner. So it's an art and you have to run the run the machine at the very different, very off design points and it has mm -hmm. to perform. That's why the stall margin is, I believe stall margin is the, one of the, you know, the most important requirement of the compressor. I mean, obviously you have to pressurize it after a pressure, pressure ratio, but pressure ratio and stall margin or stall margin first is, is really tough and it's it's the I think it's the very core of the requirement and it's very yeah. very important so it has to function. Yeah well one thing is that if you if you stall too much your compressor you're gonna break and if you break your compressor your efficiency is zero because it's broken. So there's not much you can right, do. There. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean I wouldn't worry about the efficiency too much if the very if the efficiency is not that low, right? Or I mean not that low. Absolutely. I mean like in a, in a decent it's in decent levels of efficiency is good obviously. But if you yeah. lose like a couple of percents off, then you'll be still okay. But if you're losing like ten percent, fifty percent, that's that's something else. Obviously that there's something wrong over there. But if you're losing a like couple of percent in compression efficiency that's still okay because of yeah. anything, because of manufacturing tolerances, manuf uh, clearances whatsoever, basically. It can come from anywhere, but you, know, you can still live. But if you lose stability, then you're, you're finished. Your engine is finished yeah. and 
that that's that's the thing. But turbine is much more forgiving. So turbine is you know whether you put a like very rough uh, turbine blade or like very bad tolerances and then and surface roughness and also very open clearances, it'll still work. It'll still work basically, and you can take out quite a big chunk of energy because of yeah. uh, I mean the gradient is going there, right? The flow yeah, wants to go there anyway. It, yeah. it might drive a turbine on the way, but then when you start getting to cooling, because so if people who are listening don't know this, we basically add some cooling inside the blade. So design, you, first of all, you design the blade, then you add some cooling inside it. So you try to have like an envelope of cooled air outside the blade, and you try to yeah. balance that. So that's that, that's, that's even that's better than art. That's a right, really right, hard right. job. Right, right. Uh, turbine cooling is exactly the, the most difficult part of a turbine design is the turbine cooling and the mechanical design and aerodynamic design are trying to support the turbine cooling basically so mm -hmm. that's the most important part and the the the, the uh the downside of it or the, the like the, the the big challenge is it's very sensitive the aerodynamics and heat trans are very coupled into each other and very sensitive and you and your designs can be affected by many many things in terms of cool in terms of like also the the castings of the turbine blades the channels the accuracy and the, the secondary system part of the turbines and the the heat transfer or the you know the the, the temperature gradient on the turbines and the lifing and the, the cracks and the oxidation limits the creep limits it's all it's very multidisciplinary it's very very difficult and it's a very high-tech part of the engine uh, essentially so mm -hmm. the the whole thing is you know you got a very big chunk of heat load that's coming to the uh, hp turbine or turbine blade or a vein mm -hmm. a significant amount of heat load, and you need to take that heat and transfer it to the cooling flow right and then you have to do it very carefully and very cleverly so that the, the it can be transferred easily and mm -hmm. it's going to work robust and it's going to have uh, and and you can control the heat up of the cooling area as well. So when you're doing a, serp, a serpentine, for instance, like when you're routing, the, as you as the flow goes around, it'll heat up, right? It'll be less effective towards the rear, right? When mm -hmm. you're injecting out. And mm -hmm. So and so you need to bump up your HTCs. So how you, can you do that? You you're going to employ some ribs, rib channels, mm -hmm. or you're going to put some pin fins, right? And mm -hmm. then when you're injecting those air out, you have to make sure that it is less disruptive to aerodynamic, uh, to external aero, external aero of the turbines, right? Mm -hmm. Then you, it, has to have, it has to create minimum disturbance to the wake of the turbine blade, for instance, when you're injecting from the, uh, from the trailing edge. And also you're injecting from the top as well of a turbine blade, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's important to cool the tip caps. And also, that's important to you know uh, uh, kind of uh, create a barrier for the tip vortex, right? Because when you're injecting from the top of the turbine blade, it's acting as as a, as a fluid barrier uh, for a mm -hmm. tip vortex that's moving from pressure side to suction side. That's an also important part, and you need to control these flows in a in a very small blade in very small blades with with channels that's been manufactured by casting. And you got you got a really good control of the casting process and the and the tolerances and the openings and gaps and sometimes you know uh, you you're having this blade manufactured and then you're doing a flow test and you end up mm -hmm. with 
flowing flowing significantly more <laughs> because the, mm -hmm. the holes are bigger <laughs> or significantly yeah. less because the holes are gone basically or they're blocked or they're not mm -hmm. in up to the standard right uh -huh. and leading edge leading edge is another big issue leading edge you got significant amount of heat load impinging on yeah. the on the blade or vein and then you need to take that heat out basically so what you do is you impinge uh, or you you again you utilize some rib channels uh, to take out the heat and then transfer it to the cooling flow and yeah. uh, when you're injecting into the leading edge from the inner side then you can put some uh, film cooling channels so that when you inject uh, the 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 air after it's been impinged on the inner side can wrap around the uh, airfoil yeah. and cover it mm -hmm. as a buffer so a, mm -hmm. a film cooling hole so film cooling is is really effective as well to you know creating uh, buffers so that yeah, the, the the metal is going to see the mixture temperature, not the flow path temperature. Mm -hmm. So the higher the T4, obviously, the the harder these challenges, and the more air you need to use for cooling. Uh, mm -hmm. But you need to you need in any case you need to use your air wisely because it's gonna it's going to have a performance impact. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have to do the jobs in a uh, in uh, in a robust manner as always. So it has mm -hmm. to when things go wrong when the seals are when you, because you you the secondary air system is routing the air to a to a desired point and when mm -hmm. you're routing the air you need to you know calculate your heat ups and everything basically so when it reaches when it reaches your component for component cooling the component engine designers they have to use that air wisely and on the way if something happens again a failure scenario open seals closed seals or you might lose air to other parts where the other static sealing elements fail, for instance. Mm -hmm. Again, you should be able to provide minimum amount of cooling air so that it'll it'll survive, right? Mm -hmm. So you, your normal design points might not be the failed scenarios, but in the failed scenarios, your turbine, your blades and veins need to survive. That that's mm -hmm. a must, basically. So yeah. that's why what I mean by robust design. We always, I mean. You know the by uh, all-time all SAS mentor, uh, Doctor BJ BJ Sultanian. You know the, the famous, the one and only BJ Sultanian. He mm -hmm. talks a lot of uh, these things in his book, uh, being uh, uh, you know uh, doing a robust or you know formulating a robust design philosophy for secondary air systems. So people can can read that. Uh, it's a very important part of secondary air system, and it's valid for anything. When you're routing air from A to point A to point B. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to you have to accomplish its mission uh, properly and you have to always have margin you cannot design it to adjust to, to the to the uh, to the edge you know you design have to point. have margin yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you, you have to always have to margin you need to imagine for every situation right 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 and for turbine cooling it's it's very vital for blades mm -hmm. veins and also for shrouds as well i mean you know on top of the blades you've got shrouds and there's a very tight region over there high hdc's and blades are passing by the blades are sweeping by and it's a, it's a stationary part and mm -hmm. uh, significant amount of heat load then you need to cool it from the back side of it from the cold sides and again mm -hmm. uh, cooling is an art to transfer heat from the high uh, uh, hot gases to the cold gases so that you keep your metals at uh, at uh, within allow uh, allowable metal temperature limits so within mm -hmm. limits so oh you have to always seek for you know metal limits and and you have to be careful about not uh, exceeding the limits because when you exceed your material limits then you don't know the 
behavior or how it's going to be. You, you're in uncertain area. You know, yeah. Your material can, uh, can uh, plastically deform, can degrade. You don't know its behavior after that, its service temperature limit. Yeah. So you design uh, for not exceeding those temperature limits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good. And one point, I think back then in Norway, I think that's a topic we talked. And back then, I, I am still kind of pretty um, suspicious about 3D printing in turbine cooling. But what are your right. thoughts? Honestly, it looks like in the past year, I've been some examples like applying like an actual like compressor for supercritical CO2 that was 3D yeah. printed. And, you know, of course, yeah. some heat, uh, heat treatment after and stuff. But still, like it looks like you really picked up. What are your thoughts? Because if we can do that, tolerance are much smaller. We can actually control the, the, the cooling uh, hose right, that we are right. mentioning there. So wh- what are your thoughts? Do you think that's picking up? What, uh, what are your, so your opinion there? Well, uh, I I believe it's still in the it's still in the it's in the baby steps region. I think it's, it still needs to develop. Uh, yes, you can you can create. I mean, the, your design space is wide open with 3D printing, mm-hmm. right? You got some restrictions yeah. over there, right? In, in our company, we do lots of parts with 3D printing, and we're kind of proud of, of it as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But in a in a turbine blade, I would be still suspicious or like. Very conservative about it because mm-hmm. the roughness inside is obviously it's going to enhance it. heat transfer. You're not con- you cannot really control roughness inside mm-hmm. the uh, inside the turbine blade that's 3D manufactured, 3D printed, mm-hmm. and external roughness is, an, is a, another, another thing as well. You know, your heat, your 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 increase, you're improving internal HTCs, but also you're improving external HTCs. So you know, rough mm-hmm. rough, ter- rough boundary layers, rough uh, circumfriction coefficients are significantly higher than the you know, uh, you know, smooth ones. So, mm-hmm. uh, from the external heat point or external heat load standpoint, uh, it's still. I mean, it's it's going. It's it's got its own disadvantages. So, you got to be uh, really careful about that. And you, it, it'll need some. And also from the material properties, you're not really sure about material properties. You need to do lots of testing to formulate a material database because mm-hmm. these. Layers are being printed on top of each other, and it's it's got kind of directional, uh, let's say, sensitivity. So yeah. You, you need to, yeah, you have to be really careful about uh, your material database and the material properties in different directions. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's going to change your uh, creep. Uh, that's going to change your your stresses or stress behavior, and also your creep resistance as well. So. Yeah and creep lives as well so you have yeah. to be I'm, careful I'm, about that i'm curious i'm definitely like open to it but uh, i'm right there with you i'm still like mm, let's see how that's going to behave because i get it like in theory after doing some heat treating into on top of the layers you can kind of grow the grains and they kind they might merge but i don't know I, i'm not a meta- like a i'm not a specialist in metallurgy to know if they're actually gonna you know put together to like it's not going to be the equivalent of what we do in in the gas turbines to have like one single grain for the whole blisk. Right, stuff right, like that. Like, right, right. I don't think we I, are I going to be at that point with 3D printing. Like I, I don't see the physics of it. Maybe I'm just not able to see it, but I'm I can't see it right now. Yeah, I think Siemens has been do, they, they've been doing some stuff about it, and they they printed turbine blades, and I I believe they they tested it. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's still, I I still believe it's early, early yeah, uh, early steps, and uh, it's got, it hasn't reached maturity, and it still take years to mature, it's uh, to get matured. So, 
there are ups and downs. I mean, open design space is good, mm -hmm. uh, obviously, and you can uh, do lots of things that are not doable with conventional casting. Yeah, that's absolutely. that's a very upside of it. But mm -hmm. downside is, you know, yeah, it's roughness and and uh, and also the material properties. Yeah. So. Uh, and I guess yeah, the big thing is also application, right? Because when we're talking about rockets and missiles, we're talking about a life of minutes. So maybe that's an application that's going to pick up faster right. than something right. as a gas turbine that needs to be on the on the field for ten years, right? Right. I, 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 well, for the gas turbine application, it's already uh, uh, got its space and spots in different parts of the engine. Obviously, bearing mm -hmm. chambers is one one thing. And and fuel injectors is another thing. For instance, in leap engine, there the additively manufactured fuel injectors are there. And bearing mm -hmm. chambers, you know, in bearing chambers, it's very 3D parts in a gas turbine. It's not axisymmetric whatsoever. And mm -hmm. you've got different channels throughout oil, and and you've got different channels to take out oil from the scavenge mm -hmm. point of view. And you've got vent ports all around. And you need to design uh, these structures around it. And you go, you need to, you know, house your seals around it as well. So it's a very 3D part bearing chambers, uh, where there's a cold chamber or a warm chamber in the rear part of the engine. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, additive manufacturing offers a good alternative in the conventional, uh, in a, in a conventional design, compared to a conventional design in terms of mm -hmm. parts, in terms of restrictions, in terms of part count as well. You know, you can you know, reduce this part count significantly. Mm -hmm. And in the bearing chambers, I mean, it's still carrying load, so you have to be careful about that. Uh, but you know, uh, it's found its application already in the bearing chambers and already mm -hmm. in the fuel nozzles. So fuel nozzle mm -hmm. is another part as well, and it's got cool. different channels. And again, uh, it gives an uh, 3D printing uh, gives you alternatives and it gives you a wide design space mm -hmm. and lots of different options to route multiple layers of fuel inside a fuel inject because you've got multiple streams of fuel inside. They're not just mm -hmm. one one pipe, but you know, you got different. Uh, openings for different uh, fuel lines that's going to mm -hmm. be used at different flight uh, conditions. So, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, obviously you're, you know, uh, you're trying to inject fuel into a combustion chamber when you're routing fuel and it's got a low temperature capability, right? Up to a point where it's been injected and it, it can coke. So you have to be careful about the, the fuel stream or the, the, the flow of fuel inside the injectors so that mm -hmm. you don't coke, you don't coke until you inject if you coke you're, you're blocking the blocking the holes or blocking the, uh, the lines so mm -hmm. that's going mm -hmm. to be detrimental so the, those sort of things that <clears throat> so uh, 3d printing has already has already founded its applications mm -hmm. in different parts mm -hmm. of the gas turbines and i believe it's going to you know it's going to be even more uh, i mean we're going to see uh, 3d printed parts even more uh, more and more Absolutely. over the years. Mm -hmm. uh, for turbine uh, cooling, uh, there are lots of things to do, I would say. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's one application, right? We have so many others, as you just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, apart from those, um, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I would say. Casey is a part that we have been using for almost a while now, right? For the right. some parts of the outside casings of the gas turbine. That's something right. 3D printing is not even good, like news. It's it's been a while now that we've been doing that, right? Right, but most of the time you got a limitation of size of how 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 big you can 3D print. So yeah. you can do it for small engines, but for big engines, 
I think the 3D printing of a casing is going to, uh, I don't, I don't see that. Yeah, no, no, they're gonna, yeah, it's going yeah. to be a big challenge. Yeah, it will be possible in the future, probably, but it's going to be a big challenge. Right? Mm -hmm. And it's going to be, you know, uh, I mean, cost, you always think about cost as well in here, you know, the, the, the production costs of, the, of these parts. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes uh, the conventional production is so, uh, it's it's so mature and so you know straightforward that yeah it it reduces all the costs and and it might be really cost effective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you get some places like turbochargers that you have one five axis machining doing you know ten thousand compressors a month. It's gonna be yeah. hard to compete with that because like in the right. end it's so optimized that you're doing one little compressor in like two minutes. I I've seen like two minutes and a half. I've I've seen the process and like. I don't know what else can compete with this. Like, it's a really right. major uh, production uh, pipeline that you, like, I, I'm not sure. N now on the side of prototyping and stuff like that, yeah, huge value, for sure. Immediate, yeah, huge value. So, okay, yeah. hey, I'm mindful of time. I got some last uh, last uh, comments here. What do you think about in terms of trends for gas turbines? Where do you, where do you think we're going from here in the, like, in the next 10 to 20 years? Yeah, 10 to 20 years. I mean, I'm uh, I, I'm going to I have little perspective about the power production, uh, obviously, mm -hmm. but um, uh, I can comment on the aviation side of things. And mm -hmm. in the aviation engines, the the, the the big turbofans are going to they're going to prevail, and, mm -hmm. and they're going they're going to push to a higher bypass ratio. That's for sure. And oh, so you think we are actually going bigger? Like the, the the new Rolls Royce big fan and stuff like right, that. Right, ultra fan. Like that. yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We're going to have bigger as long as we can place under the <laughs> place them under the wings. Obviously, you know, yeah. the, the bigger you put your engine, the more drags you're going to get. But uh, yeah. the bypass, the, the yeah, the bypasses bypass ratios needs to be increased, and they're going to increase. They're going to get increased. That's for sure. And the cores are going to be shrunk, so the cores are going to be smaller. That's for sure, and you're going. We're going to. Uh, we're going to see um, hotter cores uh, rotating at higher speeds in the turbofans, mm -hmm. and you got a good uh, bypass ratios reaching nearly, I would say, 15 around the 15-ish. So the Pratt is already there at 12, 12.5, mm -hmm. but with the ultrafan, it's they're going to reach uh, nearly 15, I would say, and and open rotor can still pick up its pace. Uh, we'll we'll really? see in the future. But the by I mean you need to increase bypass for a military for a commercial turbofan, and for a military turbofan, uh, again the thrust levels are going to increase, and you're going to you're going to run the engines hotter. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, with Pratt doing its uh, their best on on, on that, mm -hmm. and uh, and one thing, uh, well the, pre the the pressure ratios for the uh, commercial turbofans they're going to keep increasing. Uh, now their G has reached 61 with uh, G9X, so 61 is a significant accomplishment. Oh. Yeah, it's in the cruise, obviously, cruise condition, not in the takeoff condition, but in the cruise condition, in the iron design point, they're reaching 61. That's a, that's a big challenge. Uh, one Absolutely. fan and three stage of booster and 11 stage of HP compressor. Mm -hmm. uh, so the pressure ratios are going to increase. Uh, but uh, to a to a limit, you know, you cannot push on the increasing pressure ratio because your your SFC benefit uh, is going to keep on reduce reduced. Mm -hmm. So your your derivative is going to reduce. So the SFC is going to increase, but at a slower rate. So there's absolutely no point of pushing it to a 
to a ridiculously high value. That's uh, that's mm-hmm. that's no no. Basically, there's mm-hmm. there's no point. But the bypasses mm-hmm. need to increase. So propulsive efficiency standpoint, from the propulsive efficiency standpoint, you need to increase your bypasses. So which means you're going to make the fans bigger, or you're going to make the fans at, a, at their similar diameter, but you're going to make the cores smaller in order to mm-hmm. really uh, have uh, hot running cores with uh, higher speeds. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll see. And probably a combination of both. Right. Well, of both, of course, of course, of course. I mean, you cannot have a really hot engine with a less pressure ratio. That doesn't make sense yeah. from the practical cycle per- perspective. Mm-hmm. And uh, the materials uh, materials are going to pick up uh, their pace as well. And uh, we're going to we we've started seeing already uh, ceramic matrix composites, and they are very capable compared to. Uh, I mean, they're more capable compared to single crystals. So mm-hmm. that's going to open up a, a new uh, era, I believe, with, uh, hmm. with these ceramic matrix composites. So uh, that's going. We, we are going to we're going to see them in the future. That's for sure. And cool. uh, some metallic composite titanium aluminides that are being used already in, in uh, G9X, for instance, mm-hmm. and uh, they're going to be used. They're they're used in the LPT sections, but they're going to be uh, much more common, basically. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, those sort of material uh, material advancements and obviously sealing is going to well the, the quality of the sealing and the uh, uh, with advanced seals and and the the efficiency of sealing is going to is going to increase because no one wants to lose air to a <laughs> to a, to gaps and and then and clearances basically so you have to uh, you know, you have to run your engine, uh, you know, leak tight, leak tight. You know, you don't want to leak like a sieve or something like that. Yeah. That's going to lo- yeah. lose lots of. That's going to cause you lose lots of efficiency. So, uh, sealing is going to be a good part of it as well. I would. That's mm-hmm. that's what I believe in from the, uh, you know, aviation perspective, and um, yeah, military turbofans. They're, they're I mean, they're going to run hotter, for sure. With advanced materials <laughs> and advanced cooling, mm-hmm. and yeah, that, that's about it. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Uh, I believe cool. that's pretty interesting. Yeah, a lot of some, a lot of insights there. Well, thank you very much. Well, I don't want to take more of a Saturday. Thank you very much for spending yeah. the time here. It's really good to catch up with you. Hopefully, in a normal yeah. world, we're gonna see each other at least in the Turbo Expos Hopefully, of the yeah. world. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, it was thank nice. Very much. Nice talking to you. Yeah, yeah, it was, a, it was a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, we catch up soon. Very nice. So, and uh, Tashekula. Rija <laughs> which means oh, you're welcome. Oh, yeah, cool. okay. I need to learn that one now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a pleasure, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up. Uh, it's good that you're doing these. It's it's really beneficial for, uh, you know, your followers or your people on LinkedIn that uh, we can bring, you know, Quality discussions, quality engineering discussions into the table, so that people mm-hmm. are, you know, seeking for good information. There are lots of uh, information coming around, and all all different places, even YouTube. You know, uh, half of them, half of them are rubbish. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's good to provide, you know, uh, you know, reliable information. Let's say from the uh, from the industry uh, industry people. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's exactly the the goal. Every now and then, I, and especially on the news, in the mainstream media, you just see some stuff and just like, oh, this is bullshit. Like, you, yeah, like, talk yeah, to, yeah. like to talk to an engineer before publishing that kind of stuff. And yeah, that's a little yeah, bit my, yeah, yeah. my goal with, 
we never know who are the engineers behind the technology, the technological right. advances outside. So yeah, right. thank you very much. I really appreciate your thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah, thank you, and have a nice day. Take care. You too. All the best. Bye bye. <laughs> bye.